So, and of course, everything will be in um, Creative Commons. And That's everything. great. All right. All right. So, um, how would you describe yourself? Do you, would you say that you're a coder, a hacker, a web activist, all of it? Uh-huh, right. Uh, I'm usually called a, a open source civic hacker, and uh, which means various things, but uh, the, the most basic definition being open source is that I relinquish, uh, abandon uh, most of my copyright of everything I work. Uh, and civic just means that I care about the society, and uh, hacker means that I uh, think of new solutions uh, to, to existing problems as sort of out-of-box thinking, uh, making new rules rather than uh, following existing ones. And how would you describe the values of the internet if you mm-hmm. had to mm-hmm. put some words on it? Sure. Uh, the value of the internet is that first, uh, everybody can reach everybody without relying on the third uh, mid-person, right? And the second virtue of the internet is that any innovations uh, that happens on the internet, you don't have to ask anybody's permission. Uh, the end-to-end principle and the you know freedom to innovate are, I think, the two main virtues. And so can you tell me a little bit about your first steps as a coder? I read that you started very yeah, young. Yeah. Eight. Uh-huh, yeah. It's really impressive. Uh-huh. And you start you started without even uh, having like a, a computer. computer. That's right. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so yeah, what, what else did you want to know? <laughs> Uh, well, you see, so you had so much media coverage, so I just yeah. wanted to make sure uh, yeah. all the information right. arrived. Right, right, right. Okay. And when you all started, when did you start getting involved in politicism? When mm-hmm. did you start being uh, interested into what was happening at a political level in your country? Right. So um, the, the, when I was learning uh, computers, mm-hmm. uh, my, my dad is in Beijing, and there's something to happen mm-hmm. in Beijing, right? Uh, and then later in Berlin, where he was also in. Uh, and the same year, uh, Taiwan lifted the martial law, which went on for 30-something years. So it really is the beginning of the democratization uh, in Taiwan, which took seven years until we have the first presidential election. So um, whereas in other nations... Um, you know, democracy happens, um, you know, 200 years ago or something. Uh, and then uh, internet happens maybe 30 years ago. Uh, in Taiwan, it happens at the same time, literally the same year. Uh, so uh, they, they become, um, I think, very much intertwined uh, and in, in ways that we don't see in other democracies. Hmm. Yeah, so you grew up thinking the internet the same way you were thinking society. Exactly, uh, because the, the lifting of the martial law is like the the, the enablement uh, of the internet. Everything is possible. People can talk about things without worrying to censorship or getting killed. Uh, and so, I mean, they, they share uh, the, the same libertarian kind of uh, values. Mm-hmm. And so... You've always been eager to, as soon as you had a computer, you've always been eager to uh, work on open source programs. And Mm -hmm. what were the first ones you developed? Mm -hmm. And, I mean, did you see a pattern in Mm -hmm. the things you've been developing? Yes. Uh, It's about creating a safe space so that we can learn from each other and experiment uh, one step uh, toward another into uh, workable ideas. And uh, these are some of the, of the larger um, 
projects that I work about. Uh, I think only the very nerdy will <laughs> recognize most of them, but, but you should recognize this one, yeah, sure. which is um, what everybody is using nowadays. But it was actually a, a very new invention. Uh, be, before that, we had many, many prototypes, uh, and, and this one took off. All right. And so, so I think there is a pattern, that, and this, this pattern is basically saying uh, we uh, want to make, make a place where uh, people, where we don't know, not specific people uh, would then discover people who care about uh, the same kind of things uh, and they didn't know that there are other people who uh, are in the world other corners of the world who care about the same things and I think that's the, the, the uh, unifying value of social computing and don't you think that maybe because you've been working on open source uh, programs but do you think that nowadays they are still, I mean, um, very, a lot of people are working on it, or do you feel like there are less people interested in it, or do you feel like some companies like, I don't know, Microsoft, Apple, uh, Google are taking more space and don't let the people working as free as you've been working for years? Well, I mean, uh, in the beginning of the free software movement, before the word open source, uh, Microsoft was seen as the antithesis of the, uh, the movement. But uh, a couple of years ago, Microsoft uh, opened a GitHub account, and uh, its profile starts as, we're finally learning to, to collaborate and work with other people. And so uh, it's like an apology, you know? <laughs> Uh, so, you know, we finally changed our ways. Uh, and then, um, so, so, and before that, I mean, uh, Apple and Google and Facebook are already doing open source. So Microsoft was really the, the last one to, to join the camp, so to speak, uh, of the technology giants. So uh, there is a consensus that, that, that is basically open source one uh, in the software world. Uh, and I, I welcome those uh, people because... Um, I think having an enemy uh, ultimately is detrimental uh, of the growth of the movement as, as a whole because then, then people focus too much on specific enemies. And now that we don't have enemies anymore, we can actually think more about expanding the idea of open source to non-software um, endeavors. It's a really peaceful way of thinking things. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. And so can you um, tell me a little bit more about the Internet Task Forum? Do mm -hmm. you see it, so it's um, at the basis, political? Mm -hmm. Yes. So can you tell me a, bit, a little bit more about how it is organized and how it works and what Certainly. you do? Yeah, so the, the IETF, uh, or the Internet Society, um, are, are basically um, stakeholders, uh, people who are making laws uh, on the Internet. And uh, by law, we mean physical law, not um, uh, like jurisdiction, right? Mm. And so uh, what is possible, what is not possible, right? And then uh, for people to, to make laws, it's uh, very much essential that they have consensus because what Internet really is is a, a set of protocol that links computers together. So if two uh, operators don't have a consensus, then their computers don't talk to each other and then we don't have Internet. And so, so it is uh, fundamental to, to the working of the Internet uh, that people have to reach some sort of consensus. And then um, the, the very interesting thing about ITF is that it operates under the idea of what we call a, a rough consensus. 
Um, are you familiar with this idea? Um, no, but you already explained it. Okay, sure. Right. So uh, before the internet, mm -hmm. um, people could uh, only trust people, other people who uh, have a repeated um, experience with, like I break with you with something, or I have lunch with you every day, and and uh, eventually I trust you, right? Um, and um, the way people work in committees was that whenever a new committee member is introduced, they have to know what every other uh, member is thinking about so that they have a coordinated consensus. That's uh, the, the pre-internet way of of doing things, right? Uh, the problem with, with that is uh, it, there's a cognitive limitation in human mind uh, in that you, you cannot really track uh, more than maybe 20 people uh, in the same room. And, and so uh, when there's more than 20 people, um, the meeting becomes really impossible. It becomes some people speaking, the other people listening, right? Then you have hierarchy and everything. Um, and this is not about bureaucracy or about anything. It's just a cognitive limitation that, that humans have. And, um, and on the internet, um, things are, are very different because on the internet, everybody are strangers. And to talk on that, uh, we lose a lot of information uh, because uh, on the early internet, we don't have 3D video conference. Uh, so, so, so we only really have, uh, you know, part of the, the writing is like everybody's handicapped. Uh, and then uh, everybody also has uh, attention deficiency because uh, people like look at the article on the internet in their spare time uh, and uh, maybe they were actually commuting, maybe they were actually making dinner, you don't know, right? So, so uh, the, the thing is that we, we don't have each other's full attention, and even if we do, we don't have the full representation of our, our mental state. And so uh, in this very interesting um, uh, space, uh, it, it's impossible to build the trust the, the way uh, trusts are traditionally built. Even if you try to do it this way, you don't know uh, whether the person who is replying your email is actually the same person or whether it's replaced with a dog, right? So the, the, the thing is that the internet promotes this kind of what we call swift trust. And swift trust means that I, I by default, trust you until you do something that don't warrant my trust. But I, I by default, trust strangers. Uh, and, and this enable a different kind of cooperation, uh, which we call collaboration. Um, in the, the defining um, characteristics of this kind of uh, swift trust uh, is that um, all the damages are, are recoverable. In a sense that in the in the real space, if you uh, follow a stranger to random places, uh, it may not be recoverable. But it, on the internet, even if you're subject to cyberbullying or some defamation, it's ultimately recoverable. So it, there's uh, less to lose uh, to trust strangers. And then, so because people could trust strangers, uh, then people could uh, work with complete strangers on lawmaking. And the, the way they do this is by rough consensus. And rough consensus meaning uh, that we don't have to agree in fine detail because it's not possible anyway. Uh, we just agree on a general direction. And then toward that general direction, everybody tries their own way. Mm -hmm. But making that way public. Uh, and whenever there's a good idea, then other people just take that idea into their protocol. And eventually a consensus will emerge. It's like a swarm, like, uh, I don't know, ants or bees or, you know, insects like that. Um, and, um, and, and I think uh, ultimately this means that uh, people with really fringe views um, don't feel excluded because they, they could still do whatever they want. But uh, the general rough consensus don't have to include them 
uh, people could just converge on something that is more or less common sense. And uh, this is, I think, fundamentally a different uh, view on, on politics, which I'm sure that, uh, you know, Kropotkin or Proudhon wrote about, but <laughs> this is actually uh, how it's actually working. Um, so, so that's how IDF works. But, of course, logistically, uh, they still meet maybe two or three times a year, so people put faces to the email addresses and, and things like that, but it uh, remains fundamentally something that works across mail lists and other places of internet uh, venues, and it's open to anybody. Everybody could just write an email to the mail list and join other working group. And how many people does it gather? Uh, Do you know if you have... Huge numbers. (laughs) (laughs) So um, the the thing is that uh, there's many different tiers. Uh, There's um, people who actually work on the laws, and, but they, they're not called laws, they're called requests for comment documents, RFCs. And then uh, the early drafts are sent then to the implementers, who people who, who try it out. And then usually um, things don't work out the same way that the editors think uh, about. So then we, as implementers, will feedback our ideas. So for each RFC, there's maybe 10 people doing the editing, uh, and then there's maybe hundreds of people doing the, the trying out the early implementation. And then there's maybe thousands of people uh, uh, as an effect of their, their trying out, uh, just uh, you know, pointing out flaws and reporting their experience, they're more like like users. So, and, and, and I mean, this this is the same as any flash mob, right? Mm-hmm. You have maybe ten people dancing, and then, <laughs> and then maybe a hundred people surrounding them, and then people <laughs> see people surrounding them, and then join the and listen to the music. Uh, and it, it's the same for for each and every uh, working group. And there's uh, hundreds of working groups, um, large and small. So it's impossible to put it in number. Okay. Um, I guess I kind of answered that. I also saw that you define yourself as a conservative anarchist. Anarchist, that's correct. Can you explain me why exactly? I actually did. Uh, uh, I mean, the conservative uh, part. Because I see, like, uh, I mean, uh, anarchy is order the, within chaos. Yeah. yeah, or it's yeah. Uh-huh. order within chaos. Yeah. But why conservative? Because I, I want to keep Oh, you tradition. are, okay, that's what. <laughs> okay, because yeah. we can uh-huh. hear and understand many things with conservative, so that's... Yeah, but, but I mean, I mean, conservative as a value uh, means that there's a good tradition, mm-hmm. and instead of breaking the tradition, we want to change it very slowly so it works with the modern world, right? And, and this is exactly what, what I'm doing with the, the internet values. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I read a lot about the um, initiative. I don't know how you could pronounce it. Gov Zero. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Um, I think you've said already much about it, so I'm not mm-hmm. going to ask you more about that. Mm-hmm. But do you, did you see, were mm-hmm. you inspired by any other kind of um, initiative like mm-hmm. this one in the world when you mm-hmm. decided to create it? Right. Uh, I, I did not actually start Gov Zero. Uh, it, it was done by... Uh, friends of mine uh, Mm -hmm. and it was at the late uh, 2012 and I joined uh, actually uh, two two, two months after that this is the date Mm -hmm. uh, where I joined and uh, I I think they uh, were very consciously modeling it after the existing open source communities, which was very popular in Taiwan for for almost 20 years. Um, And um, 
And the way open source communities in Taiwan do things uh, are then modeled after how the IETF does things, which models itself after the scientific community. So, so I mean, it's the same same idea uh, of like independent innovation and a rough consensus. Um, but the the I think the most important hack that Web Zero does is really the domain name. Uh, because um, having a domain name g0b.tw where you can just take any government website and change the O to a zero and then get into the shadow government uh, re really empowers people to to rethink uh, their um, relationship with politics and with governance in general. This is like uh, do-it-yourself government. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think in this, we, uh, we were not... Uh, really taking example from, from anything mm -hmm. that is, I think, the, the only original thing. Uh, but the other things, you know, open space technology, nonviolent communication, uh, uh, all sorts of hackathons and uh, space and uh, collaborative documents, uh, all these things were uh, like part of the tradition of open source and ideas. But either, so you were kind of the first ones to do this kind of thing, mm -hmm. I mean, um, but if there were any other kind of initiative in mm -hmm. the world mm -hmm. that for you is worth the attention, mm -hmm. that could be empowering the people, mm -hmm. which one would it be? Oh, I, I have a list. Oh, I'd like to see the list. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, just a second. Sure. Is there any French one? Oh, there, there is, there mm -hmm. is. Um, so yeah, just a second. Right, so um, Gov Zero, um, I, I forgot to mention, works um, with a, a um, monthly hackathon, right? It's mm -hmm. 100 people to 600 people, a very large hackathon every month. And then uh, the next month is a smaller one, maybe 50 uh, people. And then... Uh, then, then another 100 people and then another 50 people. Um, so it's, it's very predictable. And then um, every two years, uh, we, we do a GovZero summit um, where we um, invite and get um, people who, who attend. Um, so, so this is actually uh, this year's um, speakers, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so as you can see, there's, there's 18 um, different countries. Mm -hmm. And then, because um, um, we just uh, finalized the, uh, the the speakers, so let me very quickly show you the speakers. But uh, so two years ago, um, we had we had uh, Clasher Key, and we had um, people from the Pirate Party and mm -hmm. uh, the OKFN. Um, that that's. Primarily UK, but also US, overall, and the New Zealand, uh, Occupy New Zealand people, uh, Lumia, right? And then um, also Democracy OS. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, um, well, there's a huge list. <laughs> I'm missing a lot of, right? So, um, so, so that, that was. Um, Two two years ago, and then and then this year, um, there's a lot of uh, interest uh, in Taiwan of uh, Pandemos Podemos, mm -hmm. uh, and then um, and then there's a lot of uh, new innovations that came from the Asian countries, uh, in particular South Korea, uh, and then. Um, 
and then a lot from Japan, of course. So, I mean, the the, the thing is that I, I don't think in, in terms of countries. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Vox from, from French uh, is also coming. Um, but I, I think of, um, you know, the tools that we collaboratively uh, mm. develop. And because... Mm-hmm. In a lot of those um, initiatives, I mm-hmm. guess there are not only French people working on the French ones. Exactly. So that's why exactly. it doesn't make sense. Right, and and also for for like the dictionary which I just showed you, uh, the the dictionary from Chinese, Mandarin, mm-hmm. or Taiwanese or Hakka that translates to English, French, and uh, German were done by by a, a French person, Pierre mm-hmm. Pierre, but but he uh, prefers to go by the Taiwanese name Adja and mm-hmm. gets angry when when we think of him as a French. So, <laughs> People have, have very fluid <laughs> identities, is what I'm talking about. <laughs> or an international identity. Exactly, exactly. Uh-huh. Okay. Um. Right, so, uh, just to, to make sure. this very... Uh, Concrete. So, so for example, this is uh, the the summit um, for for this year. Mm-hmm. But then we, we don't we we do mark the uh, country names just for uh, airfare reimbursements. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but, but 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 as you can see, the 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 idea is really around. For example, this one is about uh, civil tech intervention to mm-hmm. change election behavior, mm-hmm. and then the, this one is for modernizing NGOs. And this one's for modernizing media, mm-hmm. and then the, and then these are mostly uh, Hong Kong and and Taiwan is about uh, mapping and for disaster recovery, and then this is about citizen science, and then this is about uh, accountability uh, of the public administration, mm-hmm. and then then we have code for Japan and uh, OKFN talking about data uh, mm-hmm. protocols, and then and and then this one is about uh, in kind of corrupted uh, election environments, how do you improve uh, the the voting? procedure and then this is about participatory uh, budgeting and collaborative lawmaking and then this is about uh, digital publishing and Wikimedia and uh, things like that so mm-hmm. as you can see I think th- things in these terms uh, not in, in And when is the summit going to take place? Uh, it's May, um, let's say, 15th, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, two days. Okay. So that so I 14, 15. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it will be out, and I don't uh, I speak French in English, so I hope I will. Yeah, it, it's May 14, 14, okay. 15. And uh, um, the, the theme is fork and merge. But uh, the Chinese is to rebuild after taking apart the government. Okay. Uh, so that's the theme this year. And um, so you and all of your siblings mm-hmm. on the internet, I would say, um, are creating platforms and tools so that the people can dialogue, debate, and work all together. And don't you think it is kind of weird to feel that we need to create that nowadays? Mm-hmm. Whereas it is... Um, I mean, social media are everywhere, so they mm-hmm. could all be organizing on social, social mm-hmm. media, big ones. Why do we feel that we mm-hmm. need all the platforms for that? Right. So, uh, Clay Shirky had this idea of situational application, CTAP. Um, and uh, the CTAP, uh, I, I, I like to use this as an example. So, this is the, the CTAP. Uh, we work with the Hong Kong people. 
um, to, to build during the Occupy Central. And then uh, this is um, broadcasting, crowdsource news, um, barricades, um, you know, help points, uh, deployment of uh, occupied areas. Uh, this is the verified rumors and non-rumors facts mm-hmm. and the timeline. And then this is all the CCTV, um, civilian CCTVs in one place. And then this is all the logistics that they need in each of the occupied places. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's impossible to do this on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, because um, they were not designed for, for Occupy. Mm-hmm. And the, the other Occupies who relied exclusively on, on Facebook and Twitter uh, failed to to scale, to um, converge on, on any kind of uh, even rough consensus because social media in its uh, Twitter and Facebook form uh, are designed to replace newspapers. And for that, it demands people's time and do the same logic as newspapers do, which means that they make all their revenues on advertisement and thrive on sensationalist uh, thinking and devote maybe five seconds to almost one minute of the time uh, of each post, which is just fine. That's what, uh, you know, printed media do also. Mm-hmm. But, but the, the problem with that is that uh, when you're, you're occupying um, and with only those tools, you can only manufacture counterpower. Uh, you cannot really manufacture power. Um, and if you only do counterpower and without a way to converge on uh, power, then you create a vacuum or a void. And then uh, some of the occupy ends very badly because of that, uh, like, you know, ISIS and things like mm-hmm. that. Uh-huh. Okay. So interesting. Um, okay, so you told me about that. Um, what are for you the next steps in Taiwan? Mm-hmm. Because you've been working a lot with the, um, uh, how do you say it in English, sunflower mm-hmm. movement. Yeah, yeah. So for you, what are the next steps there? Sure. Um, Taiwan is in a very nice uh, place, politically speaking. Uh, hi there. Right. So uh, we have a non-partisan, like independent uh, prime minister uh, who has open data and open government as his main platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he's going to work another uh, three months now before uh, transitioning to the next uh, president of government. And, and his main agenda being that he, he does this transfer of, pub, uh, of power in public. Mm-hmm. Meaning that, uh, you know, live broadcast transcripts so that uh, not only the, the winning party, but the entire uh, civilian population knows how the government works. And so that they could, uh, you know, look after the new government in the same way that they look after the, the old government. And we also have a uh, mayor of the capital, um, Mayor Ke, who is also nonpartisan, uh, independent nonpartisan, uh, who run on the same platform, the crowdsourced open data platform. And um, the next prime minister is widely expected expected to be another non-participant independent person. So it's very interesting because um, I think in Taiwan, we, we only had representative democracy in the real form for less than 20 years. Mm-hmm. So for us to experiment with uh, direct democracy, it's very easy because the 
people were not very good at representative democracy anyway. Mm. So, so it's you know another item on the menu, uh, and so so people are very open yeah, both on the city level and on the national level uh, to experiment with more advanced forms of mixed uh, direct representative democracy. So I think the the next step is just to to figure out the uh, proper channels um, to to maybe change both on the constitution and also on the legal and also on the regulation level to uh, make a more um, comfortable way for, for people to include uh, this kind of direct democracy, not necessarily electronic, uh, to the, the, the governance process. And I, I think people were very much fed up with uh, representative uh, democracy in general, not because the system itself has big problems, but because the parties were just not very good at it because they were not experimenting. I think Pandemos Podemos has yeah. uh, very similar dynamics. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. I'm also... Uh, I'm also thinking about uh, something else. We are almost mm. over the world. No, it's fine, it's fine. I'm also thinking about something else that I read that you said. It was that um, during the um, Sunflower Movement, mm-hmm there was kind of an order within mm-hmm. the chaos because mm-hmm. the, um, there were many cameras and everybody... Yeah, the, yes. Don't you the, feel that it could be seen as the, the kind of a surveillance society uh-huh. that is organizing uh-huh. organizing itself? Yeah, there, there's a French word for that. It's called surveillance. Su- right? <laughs> yes. That's why I'm asking. Yes. Um, there's the private sphere and there's the public sphere. When, when people go on the street uh, with half a million people, it's by definition public. I, I don't think anybody would argue that uh, they should remain private uh, on the street. It just makes no sense. Right? Um, but uh, in the private sphere, we, we do care a lot about uh, the privacy laws. Uh, that's actually one of the uh, most recent deliberations in, in the VTAWI lawmaking process, where which I facilitated, is that exactly how how much anonymization technology should we deploy uh, and how much, you know, data, uh, what we call data ownership or data portability. And it's just the same as the new uh, European Union GDPR uh, mm-hmm. concerns. And I think that is that's very important. But um, the, the delineation between uh, private and public sphere uh, is the... The natural result, if we make everything public, super public, and if we talk talk the the private sphere and define it as as a natural human right, uh, and then uh, eventually we'll. Uh, the line would be very clear, is what I was saying. And, and when, when the line is very clear, I, I don't think the problem with surveillance uh, is a concern anymore, mm-hmm. because then people know which side of the line we currently are on. If we're on the public sphere, it's, of course, video broadcasted and everything. And if we're on the private uh, sphere, then any violation of that is a violation to a constitutional right. And for you, the line is clear in Taiwan? Yeah, it's know? becoming more and more clear. Yes. And do you think it is the same in other countries, for no. example, France? No, okay. because uh, the, the, there's one example I really want to, to, to make is that in the European Union laws, I don't know whether it's the same uh, after GDPR, but sometimes people's privacy could be violated uh, if it's for scientific, medical, or historical mm-hmm. purposes. Um, Scientific, um, medical, medical, and historical. That's the three exceptions in mm-hmm. the uh, European Union privacy law. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in Taiwan, is scientific, medical, and crime investigation. So, 
Yeah. So, so it's very different values. Mm. Like, yeah, totally. Yeah. So, and we don't think historians mm. are <laughs> are that important. <laughs> right. So, so it, it it's not the same in in every mm-hmm. country. And Taiwan is already pretty close to the EU. If you look at Singapore mm. and so on, it's completely different culture. So we have a lot, a lot actually to. We could be inspired by what is happening in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. You don't have that much issue that we're facing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you think that the younger generations, I mean, the people in their twenties, for example, mm-hmm. are lacking a certain um, involvement in politics, or do you feel like? Well, the the digital natives, right? Uh, the the digital natives in Taiwan. They were the first generation who don't remember the martial law, mm. so they also are the first generation who could meaningfully participate in, in politics, mm. which means that it's a very hip thing to do. And again, this is a dynamic we don't see in France. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's totally different. Yeah, I mean, for example, uh, with the. Um, I don't know how, how you call that in English. L'état d'urgence, you know, mm-hmm. right now in France, for example. Yeah. Um, I don't see any digital native going mm-hmm. into the street and yeah, speaking yeah. for themselves. Exactly. And, yeah. and so that's what is striking me. I mean, uh-huh. I'm 25 and I could be uh-huh. considered as a digital native. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't see any of my siblings or people of my mm-hmm. age who are going into the street like what happened. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Speaking and, and, and so... Um, Actually, I, I'm, t- tomorrow I'm, I'm flying to to Coimbra, uh, where where there is a workshop where we talk about exactly this issue. Because mm-hmm. when people do things like participatory budgeting or you know any kind of direct democracy, uh, we see a a discrepancy, a gap. Because people who could propose meaningfully are people who work on associations, and 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 they were generally speaking not digital natives at, mm-hmm. at this point. And then, but we need people to to vote online to reach five percent of voting turnout, because otherwise. It's not a legitimate mm-hmm. uh, policy process, right? But those people who vote online, which are mostly digital natives, uh, they, they don't even share the same agenda as the, the people who propose. And the original hope of the scholars was that as the PBE process goes on, those two groups of people will talk to each other more, collaborate more, and so on. But that, that's not happening across Europe. And, and so, so that's that's the the I think the thing that we're we're trying to figure out how to uh, fix. I have a few ideas. <laughs> yeah, I do. I actually do. Uh, Can't you give me one for now? Oh yeah, yes, yes. Would you like to try it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and and because you, this has to be tried because it's impossible to to describe in words. I mean, literally impossible. Okay. So this is my phone. And this is a really cheap, maybe 70 euros mm-hmm. device. And uh, this is the focus dial. You can change yeah. the focus here. And then you can rotate uh, up and down, left and right okay. here. And well, just put it on. Okay. It's possible to describe. And you, oh. can, you can look all over. This is actually the solar system at the moment. Right now? Right now, yes. Wow. Yeah, it's using GPS to, to calibrate. Yeah. Right. And then um, if you 
look into the earth. And then, yeah, and then give me your, your right hand, please. Uh, yeah, you can rotate the earth. Uh -huh. And then, if you look at the earth where you see a circle around it, you can lightly tap to, to go there, but only tap once, not, not twice. Okay. And if you look into other planets, also you can tap into it. Uh, but but you have to uh, wait for you can you have to look at the center of it so that you. Oh, yeah. yeah, the gates. Right. Yeah, right. That way. Um, no, because when you lock into the center of it, you will see us. You will hear a sound. But uh, you can also look around to see the sun or the moon, or you know any other planet. Uh, Oh, okay. oh yeah, yeah. Right. So, so yeah, that's the sound, and then you can type lightly, and then it will give you another sound, but only when you are looking at. The, the, yeah, maybe the I went too yeah, yeah, fast. Yeah. Right, but anyway, um, so if you, <laughs> but if if it's working, yeah, oh, that, that's right, that's right. That's the one. Yeah, but so if it's working, then you should travel there, um, but um, if you. So like as soon as yes, yes, and then, but if you look at other stars which are planet not planets in the solar system, you you cannot go to it. Yeah, ah, that's, that's, that's right. That's right. Yes, and then it will take some time to to fly you there. Oh, yeah. You did that. You did that by yourself. Uh, I work on the software for it, mm -hmm. but but this particular software is is done by Starchart, which is already a very popular mobile phone mm -hmm. application. I think it's based in the UK. But the the point the point is that they don't have to rewrite the program; okay. they they just uh, port uh, adapt to this platform. And the the point I'm making is that um, the the report the the feeling of closeness uh, with a certain place is what the digital natives generally lack. Um, and the way they, they fix this in, in the US, in Arizona, there's something uh, called decision theater. I don't know whether you know about it. It's what uh, scholars could meet in this dome that is all monitors all around. It's like a star dome. And um, connect with people in Washington, DC, who has the same facility. And then they see uh, with those 3D IMAX glasses, um, a, uh, for example, a, a hurricane disaster area or something mm -hmm. like that, and with computer models all around it. So they could talk about scenarios and planning in a way that is uh, uh, corresponding to the people who are in the disaster area, rather than seeing them as abstract numbers, which is what the digital natives do most of the time. Uh, so, so uh, what I'm saying is that this is a way to to go beyond representations um, and uh, to to really incite some kind of gut feeling, like like when one we are actually among stars. We are actually uh, in the solar system. We just don't think about it most of mm. the time. And this is just reminding you that that of this fact. And so um, I think the, the next experiment that I'm going to do in Taiwan was help with some scholars is, is really put this into uh, the deliberative process so that the digital natives don't have to leave their home but still participate in the city town meeting to walk in the street and, and so on and, and build a rapport with, with uh, the associations and the people who propose that uh, budget or, or lawmaking, uh, rulemaking idea and so that the local context will become um, more apparent 
to those people. And uh, and once you think about things in a certain location this way, in a deep enough way, all the surface, um, what we call the PR pitches or the slogans, uh, no longer work. This is like a vaccine of, of the mind. Um, and, and that's one of my ideas. There's more, but this one is easier to share. So it's totally what um, Sherry Tioko was calling being alone together. Exactly, exactly. Yes, it is. It is. Takes like way more. Uh, I mean, at the time she was speaking about people behind a computer but with something like this, it's getting huge. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, I just have the small questions about you so that we can understand you as a human sure, being. Sure. Um, so, uh, can you tell me when you were born? You're yeah, uh, yeah, it's on Wikipedia. Uh, oh, 19, oh. 1981. <laughs> yeah. um, when was, so you told me you started coding at eight? That's right. Um, is there someone, a person that inspi- inspires you? You mean when I was eight? No, uh, nowadays. <laughs> okay. um, I mean, anyone could be someone from your family, someone... Uh, no, no living people, but uh, well, there, there were um, people who inspired me. I many people actually, but the the ones come to my mind at this point. Um, I I quit school, as you know, uh, mm-hmm. in in fourteen, uh, and partially quit school already in, in twelve when I discovered the internet. Between twelve and fourteen, there's two years of internet without the world web. Because it wasn't mm-hmm. invented. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so my primary learning was from the Gutenberg Project, mm-hmm. which are the bunch of people digitizing books. But because of copyright law, they could only mm-hmm. digitize books before, uh, I think, 1920 or something, before the First World War. Uh, and um, Or during, but there's not many works during the First World War. So in, in any case... Um, so this, this paint a, a different picture of the world, actually. Before the two world wars, mm-hmm. people were... Um, I don't know in a new century, mm-hmm. and then and then, um, and then so so that that formed my my basis of reading. Uh, so so you know Freud, Darwin, mm-hmm. Marx, um, people around that time, and then um, and then because they uh, their main citations were uh, you know um, Kant, uh, mm-hmm. Schopenhauer, you know people like those, and so that that became um, kind of my my people who influenced me most, the, the way they think about things, and of course uh, the early anarchists, because they were uh, actually uh, got more followers than Marx at, at that point. Right? So, so it's a very different age. And because of the copyright law, I, I don't actually have access to the people following them. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so, so it's very interesting uh, two years. I think it's very formative for me. Yeah. And what, were the, what were, was your reaction when you mm-hmm. could with the rest after? Um, I, I then, uh, in, in, in 94, I then work with the cutting-edge researchers, uh, people who were on the web for the first time, like the rest of the, the world. Uh, and they were the early adopters because they have very fast computers at universities. I work with the, the professors, and for every discipline, there's a computational that discipline, right? Linguistic, computational, mm. linguistic, biology, computational biology. So I work with those people, and um, the reaction was that because across the internet they don't know it's a fourteen or thirteen year old, uh, so they treat me like colleagues, and uh, we work together on projects. Um, and actually, Aaron Schwartz, uh, you know, had had a documentary that described this process, yeah. and so there's a huge gap 
you know, between 19, you know, 20 and, <laughs> and, you know, uh, 1994. Sure. So, so that is actually missing in my education. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so, so, um, and, and of course with later on with Wikipedia and so on, I gradually uh, recovered that part of the knowledge, but it, it then become purely intellectual to, to me. I don't have a gut feeling uh, mm. of that period of, uh, human, um, history. So it is a very interesting <laughs> way of looking at history. Yeah, looking at history. Sure. Um, so just to mm -hmm. be sure, uh, I read that the first program you wrote mm -hmm. was an educational game for your brother. Yeah, one of the very first. The first was Hello World, but that doesn't count. What was it? Hello World oh. is, you know, the first program everybody writes. Um, do you know, do you have any idea, maybe it's going to be like, you know, it's just to have a number, uh, how many programs you've coded in your life? I have what? Coded? Yeah, you've written. I maintain uh, maybe more than a hundred projects, uh, but that was 10 years ago. So easily in many hundreds at, at this point, uh, I, I lost count that, that is, I think. That, okay. Yeah. Um, is there an environment where you feel more likely to work? Like maybe something like this room, or is there a place you like to work? Well, yes. Uh, I, I prefer people in the ambience. I think that's the, the, the most succinct way of putting it. Uh, so not like crowded, mm -hmm. but uh, not like alone. So yeah, I like this place. It's super. It's great. Okay. Um, so you've told me about the authors uh -huh. that inspired it. Yes. If you had to choose one book, mm -hmm. what would it be? Finnegan's Wake. I used to read every sentence I read them every day. Really? Yeah. And I translated part of it. It's very, very difficult to translate. Uh, if you had to choose a movie? If I had to choose a movie, um, that's a that's a very very good question because I don't have the same feeling to movies as I do with books. Um, so, actually, I have to pass on that. Okay. Yeah, I don't have any movie that influences me strongly. Yeah. Um, a song. A song, huh? Um, you know, I, I can give you a very cheesy answer, but um, I, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's anthem, anthem, uh, as the national anthem uh, oh. from Leonard Cohen, um, and I think it's it's beautiful because um, it it fixes it's a vaccine against perfectionism, uh, and and that is always a a, a, uh, a challenge, you know, to compare. What's best? What's better to to resist against this kind of thinking uh, when, when we do civic hacking, uh, where failure is normal as part of life? And I think that song gives uh, me the kind of mental state <laughs> to to keep failing. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay, and my. Last question because mm -hmm. people yeah, are going we to have be ten, waiting for you. Yeah, we have ten minutes. If you had to, if you had to gather people around you at a table for dinner, mm -hmm. for example, who mm -hmm. would you like 
a table life. of what? Uh, for dinner, for uh, example. Okay. That could be people uh, alive or dead. Or dead? Yeah, uh -huh. anyone. What would be your perfect dining table? My perfect dining table? Um... To be completely honest, um, just uh, with you at this table. I mean, I, I don't think um, of other people when I talk to people. And uh, um, this is what, what, what they call hyper-focus, but, um, but I think it's, it's really, um, I don't know how to put it, but this is like the Leonard Cohen song. Um, this basically means that we, we don't, or at least I don't, uh, try to, to project people on the people that I'm meeting at, at the point. Um, that's my honest answer. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a perfect answer. I mean, mm -hmm. okay. Emoto, maybe? Emoto, huh? Um, the, the sentence that I translated... Uh, in, in Finnegan's Wake, uh, I, I think of it a lot. So maybe that, right? Uh, so um, yeah, it's the last lines of the the wake. Um, actually, I have it here. So uh, just a second. Mm, because it's very visual. So this is actually the, the last line of the, the wake. This reads lips the keys to given and then away alone alas a love along the river. And this uh, is the first page of the book, it's a circular book. Um, yeah, this is what I meditate to, so to speak. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs>